We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Hey, let's get going. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, we just want to welcome you. Uh, and uh, we've been in Romans for a number of months, and it has been our lifeblood. We have loved it so much, and we've seen it shape and mold our hearts like crazy. And kids, ages seven on down, you can be dismissed. Some of you know uh, that I have been involved in a musical with my daughter for the past couple months. And we love live theater. I mean, it doesn't get any better. Like live theater, like acting, live orchestra, uh, like great opportunities to like blow it, you know, and just make big mistakes. So it's like, it's, but there is one thing that is better than live theater. You know what it is? Live sermons. I'm serious. The teaching of God's Word, like live, for the people of God, Sunday after Sunday, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't. Like even last Sunday, just seeing how God's words shaped you and how uh, we received what it meant to be a living sacrifice and the stories that came about from this church on how to live for Christ how to sacrifice for him. It was incredible. It's so invigorating and it gets better and it gets deeper. So let's get after it, okay? So last week we did study what it meant to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We learned that sacrifice doesn't produce these Eeyore kind of Christians. Do you remember that? Like, oh man, now I gotta, oh, I just gotta now this, remember? But actually living Jesus and sacrificing for him with your time, talent, and treasure, everything you have, laying it down for him to be an offering is life. It's not draining sacrifice. Ah, but when you give up for God, that it brings life and vitality. That's what we learned last week. So, how was it? Like, how, how was this past week in your life, right? Did you have the opportunity to lay anything down to offer up to God? Was it, was it like heart-filling um, was it energizing? Was it scary? Did it make you nervous at all, right? Well, this week, if, you're at, if your heart is at a place of surrender where you're like, last week when we read that, I want that. I want that in my life. I want to be a living sacrifice 
But Newman, I don't know how to do that. If you're visiting, by the way, my last name's Newman, okay. Um, I don't really know what it looks like, but my heart's at a place, it's, it's willing. Guess what? You're at a good place. Because for the next few months, Paul is going to spend chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 describing, coaching you, bringing you along on what it means to live for Jesus and to offer up your life to him. Like 14, 15, and 16 deal all about relationships. Like what does it mean to live your life for others in mind? Chapter 13 talks about what what does it mean to live your life for Jesus in relation to government? And chapter 12, which is the one that we're in today, talks about what does it mean to be a living sacrifice and live for others and the church? That's where we're headed today. So this morning, we got the church. Now, just a little bit of biblical theology There's a lot of metaphors used about the church to describe what it's like, right? Like um, there's there's a a flock of sheep where Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. There's a marriage, there's vines, there's families. And this morning, the metaphor is the body where Christ is the head and believers, those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus, are connected to the head as members of the body. So, let me start by this, uh, a little bit of a strange question slash activity, okay? You guys ready? I don't know if you're ready. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. It's going to be a little weird, but hang with me, okay? Um, Here's the question. How many times have you thought about your own body today? Okay? Okay. So don't get weirded out, okay? But just like, hang with me. Like, maybe you woke up and you're like, what am I going to wear to church? Uh, what am I going to put in my body? Like, what's, what's for breakfast this morning? Perhaps you felt a little hunger, you thought about it, and so you acted and went to the pantry, got some breakfast. Right. Maybe even today when you were singing, you thought about your stomach, your lungs, and how it's coming out your mouth, and Maybe when you're singing, you're standing, and you're like, my knees, should I keep them locked? Should I bend them? You know? Okay, all right, here we go. I wonder what my hair looks like from behind. You know, someone's singing right at me. Um, maybe you're seated right now, and you're thinking, man, my back's a little sore, right? Or maybe you're wondering, okay, uh, how, how should I get through the sermon in terms of my legs? How should I put my legs? Should I cross them? Um, should I put my ankle on top of my leg? Um, should, I, should I stretch out? Should I put it right here? Oh, that's comfortable. That's not comfortable. Right? You're thinking about your body. Even in the last 30 seconds, I'm sure you've been more engaged in what you're thinking about your body. Right? Perhaps... For the guys, you know, who put their, their leg kind of cross-leg over here, kind of like Gary, um, perhaps, maybe, you're like, oh no, I wore one black sock and one blue sock, <laughs> right? And what, what's others going to think about me? And you're like, you're totally caught up in your body. Those aren't sinful thoughts. They're just very normal thoughts. 
And the mindfulness of your body always leads to action. So, for instance, if you're sitting cross-legged and your hips hurt, what are you going to do? You're going to stretch out your legs. You're going to adjust so that you're comfortable. So what you think informs your behavior. And really, that's the message of the passage today. This passage is going to deal with our thoughts. First about ourselves, then it's going to extend out to the church. And guess what? Paul's just going to say, just think and leave it there. No, actually, your thoughts will inform your action. And so he's going to call you to think rightly, and then he's going to say, and now act upon it. So uh, the title of today's sermon is Serve with Grace. Just sticking with the theme that chapters 12 through 16 talk about service to God. Point number one is grace to think rightly, and we'll cover verses three to five. And then point number two is grace to act rightly, and we'll cover verses six to eight. And here's the message in a sentence, okay? It's this, that God's grace leads us to think rightly about ourselves and act rightly towards others. So let's go ahead and start. I'll read the passage of Scripture for us. This is point number one, grace to think rightly. Let your eyes go down to verse three in your Bibles. Verse three, for though, forgive me, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. All right, so Paul, Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, last week called us to total abandonment of ourselves, to live a sacrificial life unto the Lord, to be a living sacrifice. And isn't it interesting, like the first thing that he warns us about in a kind and gentle way is pride, right? Have you ever struggled with pride? Me neither. I know, right? It's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that wild that like he calls us to a life of abandonment unto God? And some of you might have said, I'm totally in. I am going to live for Christ this way. I'm going to be an offering unto him. And the first thought, this is the wickedness and deceitfulness of our hearts. The first thought is, look at me. Look at how I'm sacrificing to God. <laughs> isn't that awesome? Like, look how awesome I am. I'm living for Jesus. So like Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows the heart of mankind and quickly supplements and says, hey, here's a huge call to the church to be humble in your walk with God. How does Paul confront pride? First, he shares his testimony. He tells us how he became a Christian. Uh, Look at verse 3 with me. It says, for through the grace given to me so paul is saying hey jesus saved me i didn't become a christian because i was smarter than the next guy it's all about grace like for by grace i've been saved through faith it's not of myself it's the gift of god not a result of works or talent or like my good looks or or my reputation or my resume just the grace of god 
It's an undeserved gift. Look at what it also says. I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we're going to go into a deep dive real quick, so hang with me here. Um, I don't know of anyone in this church that wants to be prideful. Like, actually, our family, have been, we've been really impressed with the humility of this church. We're three years old now as a church, and we would say that this church is marked by humility. I'm, I've just been really encouraged and challenged by, by each of you. And we're learning from this verse that humility towards God and others starts in the head. How does a person become humble? So we've seen um, bad examples of humility before, right? False humility says like, oh, I'm so bad at everything. I stink at everything. I'm the worst person. Look how humble I am, <laughs> right? It's like, it's kind of masked pride right there. That's, that's not humility. Perhaps you've heard like um, uh, motivational messages about humility that um, just tell you flat out that humility is, is denying and not ever thinking about yourself. Um, but Paul doesn't say that in this verse, does he? He says to not uh, think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Do you see that in the text? It says to use sober judgment. So not too highly of yourself, but I would say to think accurately of yourself. Okay? So here's, follow this line of thinking. Hey, don't think too highly of yourself. Think accurately about yourself with sober judgment. Okay, so now what? Accurate about what? And so the Bible says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so the big question would be, well, what does that mean? Like, according to the measure of faith that God has, has given or assigned, does that mean that God has granted or given more faith to some than others? And if I have more faith, can I be proud about that faith? What if I don't have as much faith as given to that guy, and I exercise faith in a comparison or competitive mode to be equal or the same amount of faith that guy has? Does that mean that me, because I was given more faith, I'm using it in a more efficient and better manner in order to have faith? And I would say, oh, I don't think that's the right way to think about this verse right here. Do you see how that could lead to a real hot mess with the body of Christ? You start just start acting like this is one big game or competition on who's got the most faith. So how should we read it? How should we read this verse, because if we read it like that, it would give reason to boast. I think a good way to read it, or a very accurate interpretation of this text, is the measure. 
where the measure doesn't mean uh, to measure the amount of faith, but the measure of faith would mean the standard measurement. Did you catch that? So it would read like this. God has allotted each believer a standard of faith by which to measure himself. Um, So like in short, hey, you're not given more faith than the next guy or less faith than the next guy, but everyone is given the faith. That's... Everyone's given the faith. And so that's why the, the, the NIV translates it like that. The, the faith. So we're all given the faith. And the faith is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That's why some translations say that you're given a standard. And so Jesus is the standard. There's the deep dive. Let me just like recap it, okay? Here's the progression of thought. Verse 1 and 2. Give your life to Jesus. Be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice unto Him. And when you do, don't look to the left or the right and become prideful, but look to the standard of humility found in Jesus. You got it? That's kind of the progression that this text is is bringing us along. Side note. Side note. What makes a successful sermon? That it's really moving? Maybe. Um, that it really like tugs at the heartstrings? Maybe. Um, that it preaches Christ? Well, absolutely. That it's accurate to the Bible? Absolutely, right? That it's truthful? Yes. Also, one mark of a good and successful sermon is that the body of Christ afterwards would be able to pass along the sermon to another person and tell another person what the Bible says. Right, so that you can go and go. Oh, I really liked Mike's what? Like his hair today? No, 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 no. I really liked how Paul went through the scriptures, so that you wouldn't say anything about Mike at the end of the sermon, but but you would be able to trace the thought of the Bible. That is a successful sermon. Okay. Hopefully, you can track it up to this point. That that's where he's going. That's where he's he's headed. So, he's calling us to grow in humility, okay? Not thinking too highly of yourself, myself. Basically saying, look to the standard, get to know Jesus. Okay? Look to Him. Alright, so let's just take a step back for a second. Just so that I'm not calling the church to some cliche, hey, be like Jesus and look to Him, right? And, and leave it at that ambiguous point, here's a specific way that has really been meaningful for me as I have looked to Jesus this week. Okay? Obviously, the greatest example um, of humility is Jesus, but specifically His action of coming to earth, His incarnation, and being obedient to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. The cross is the best example. Amen? Like, that is humble in action. All right? But here's here's a unique aspect that was just really meaningful for me me this week. In Matthew 4, um, it talks about before Jesus goes out in the wilderness, here's one quick verse, that he was led by the Spirit. 
who is led out by the Spirit of God. So Jesus, like the living God, the Son of God, the the guy who spoke into existence, um, he submitted to God. Like he put himself in a position to follow someone else. Like he, he was led by the Spirit. So we could say in, within the council of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that each of, them, each of them submitted one to another. We know that Jesus submitted to the Father in the garden, right? But he also submitted to the Spirit. He allowed himself to be led by the Spirit. How are you doing in that area? How are you doing being submitted to, or as Paul said, what's your posture towards the Spirit of God? I think a, a real, a real like practical application would be, hey, every day, are you waking up and going, Holy Spirit, where are you leading me? We learned in Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Lord, would you lead me today? In various conversations, the people I come to, uh, you know, in contact with, when I'm on the phone, whatever, in my job, in my, you know, when I'm doing the laundry, when I'm interacting with my kids, what, would you lead me? Would you guide me by your Holy Spirit? That is you submitting to someone else, namely the, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When you do that, when you humble yourself like Christ, when you're looking at Him, the stander, and you submit, beautiful things happen. And one of the outcomes is a humble life. That you live under submission to the Lord. And now you're starting to have the ability to think rightly about yourself. No longer are you fueled by just your thoughts about the day, but because of the grace of God in your life, you're beginning to be on mission and wondering and following what the Lord is doing in and through you hour by hour, minute by minute. Okay, church, we've dealt with your personal thought life regarding yourself, okay? Let's see how Paul now brings us along and shapes our thoughts towards others. Let's read verse 4 and 5 together. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, verse 5, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. All right, so you remember how we started asking you guys uh, how many times you thought about your body today? Um, so let's, let's like bring it back to those thoughts. The guy who's going, oh no, I wore a black sock and a, and a, and a, and a blue sock. They don't match. I wonder what like, people are thinking about me. Like This verse um, is, is for that guy because now the guy's going, okay, I got a black sock on a blue sock. But I'm looking down the aisle, and that brother over there has stinking avocados on his socks, right? Like, what about what in the world is going on there? And then he looks to the to the left and he goes, 
And that guy, that guy doesn't look like he's wearing socks. He's got those like loafers on, but I see something in there. Those are little booty socks he's got on. How can he do that? Is that even masculine, right? And those are some of his thoughts as he looks at his own body, doesn't think rightly about himself, and starts going, but at least I'm not XYZ, right? This is not a sermon about socks. But I have been hanging around a lot of college students lately and been noticing that I just wear ankle socks. And I'm like out now because they all have like calf socks on and all sorts of kinds of different socks, right? So this verse, this verse basically slaps that guy in the face. It's like, hey, just drop the avocados. It's going to be fine, right? Like, don't worry about those little booty socks. Or maybe you actually do need to worry about the booty socks. <laughs> so Paul says, hey, let me train your thinking in relation to other people, namely other people in the, in the church. Okay? So he's, he's saying three things. Let me just give you a bullet point. Okay? Number one, Jesus brings unity. That's how he's going to shape your thought there. Like, he is the head. And if you are a part of the body, you have the same head. Like, so your first thought should not be, oh, I can't believe how different we are. Like the different kinds of things that we wear or do or act or whatever. It should be, wow, great how Jesus is the head. He's our commonality. So, number one, Christ brings unity. Number two, you are one body. So it's just a little bit different slant. So, again, your first thought should not be how different you are, but that you are connected. So because you are in the same body, that means each member, in a sense, belongs to one another. That's why we practice membership at this church. We join to identify, hey, this is an arm, this is a knee, this is a leg, this is an elbow. This is a part of the body of Christ. They're connected to the head. Number three, you have different functions. So now, when you look down and you like see the guy with the socks, the different from you or whatever, just to hang with the illustration, instead of despising the differences generational tendencies or different likes dislikes whatever now you can celebrate those with different gifts that's how he trains and shapes and molds our thinking in this text in general if you're taking notes just write this down all these things should lead you to celebrate and not be cynical towards the church the people of God. Why? Or how does that work? Because the text does say we are individual members of one another. So that guy across the aisle, that girl across the aisle, does have a strange yet real connection to you and to one another. Like you have a responsibility for one another as a result of being connected to the same head, Jesus. That's the principle. The implications, the practical like outpourings of it are great and many. Here's one just practical outpouring of realizing 
that you have a responsibility for someone else in the church? And it would be this question. I'm sure many of you have asked this before. How am I doing with my walk with the Lord? How am I doing? How's my Bible reading? How's my prayer life? How's my, you know, how's the sin in my life? Da, da, da. Me, 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 right? Which is good. We need to be asking those questions. But the, the man or the woman who is shaped by this text starts asking this question. How are we doing spiritually? How's members in my church doing, walking with the Lord? How's my community group doing? Hey, I left church. I noticed that this gal was a little bit down. I'm connected to her through Christ. I'm going to reach out to her. I wonder if she's okay. How are we, as a whole, growing in the depth of the Lord together? Let's go to point number two. Hopefully, you've gleaned so far the importance of thinking rightly. Thinking rightly about yourself, thinking rightly about others in the church. And now, uh, Paul is going to call us to act um, by grace, and he's going to call us to act rightly. Let me read it for us. Let your eyes go to verse 6 with me. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Okay, so real quick. On spiritual gifts. When someone becomes a Christian... Um, When they're born again, when they have said, hey, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins, I'm going to look to Him, and and I'm going to place my faith and trust in Jesus. When someone does that, a whole bunch of cool stuff happens. They're redeemed. They're set free from their sin. Like, uh, Jesus calls them by name, and you are pronounced a child. Like, the banner over you is now is now love that's right like you're one of his you become a member of the body of christ like you are his in john it talks about how when you become a child of god that jesus that you're in jesus's hand and the father is in here and it's like they'll never let you go it's beautiful it's beautiful Something also that happens is that the moment you receive Christ, that that you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It's called the ministry of the indwelling Spirit, right? That's what He does. And He occupies. He like influences. He guides. He shapes. He teaches. He comforts. He he corrects. He convicts. Like that's the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He fills you. He controls you. He like shapes your words. Jesus says, hey, when you don't know what to say, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to provide and supplement the words for you to speak. It's awesome. The Holy Spirit. He seals you until the day of redemption. Do you know what else happens when you become a Christian? He gives you spiritual gifts. Gift, gifts, that's what He does. 
And Paul lays out a list for us right here. Okay? Now, based off of the context, after the, you know, the last 20 minutes or so of walking through these verses, do you think that this is the right way to read this list? Ready? Oh, oh, I wonder which one's me. I wonder which one's me. Which one's me? I should take a test. What gift, gift am I? Give me, me, me. I, 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 I. Do you think that's the right way? No! Why am I saying that? Because that's how everyone reads lists of the spiritual gifts. I wonder which one's me. Why do you think Paul puts this list right here after telling us to think rightly with sober judgment about ourselves and to think rightly about others? So that you would recognize gifts in other people. That you would live for others. That you would honor and appreciate others in the body of Christ that are different from you and functioning differently. Okay? So, a little bit of a different like turn on these gifts. Let's read them in that light. Let's explain them in that light. And call you not to be like, oh, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. Oh, that's me. And those other things? Uh-uh. But for you to open your eyes and see the beauty of the bride of Christ and how the Spirit grants gifts to others. So shall we? Um, quick metaphor that has been really informing our church. Um, the here I am person versus the there you are. You remember that? We used it a couple weeks ago. person that walks into a room, there's two kinds of people. The here I am person, look at me! I'm the man! Hey everyone, I've got something to say. I've got my stories. I've got my giftings. I've got my stuff I want to share. I've got the things that I want to talk about. What you're bringing up, that ain't nothing because I would like to share what I'm thinking. Here I am. Not a biblical mindset. The there you are person walks into a room, scans the room, submits to the Holy Spirit and goes, Lord, where are you leading me today? Lord, who, who needs ministry? Lord, where, where should I go? To this person over here? Okay. And they listen. And they ask questions. And they go, oh, there you are. Right? Paul is putting this list to help you be a there you are kind of person. In conversations, in relationships, in everything. Here's the first one. Prophecy. So this guy or girl speaks the truth of God according to the faith. That is, that he or she reveals the truth in the Scriptures with diligence and with tenderness. So the question would be, how can you be a there-you-are person to a person who has the gift of prophecy? And I would say, church, humbly receive him or her. Like, thank them for taking part in the ministry of reminding us of the Scriptures. Because too often we're casual about them and too often we forget about the Scriptures. We need prophets to be forthright with us. Let's go to the next one. Service. This guy or girl wholeheartedly gives to the service of others. Like their speech is continually marked by the question of, how can I serve you? Hey, anything I can do for you this week? How should you respond to them? Ready? 
let them serve you. Like, don't rob them of their blessing. Like, let them serve. Don't abuse them. Because they can get tired. Sometimes these people don't know how to say no. But let them serve and thank them for it. And minister back to them in word and in deed. Don't suck them dry. Next one, teaching. This guy or girl loves to teach. She or he uh, brings himself fully to the task of preparing good meals for God's people. Like they can't get enough of it. They study, they get invigorated, and they want to share and teach others. How should you be a there-you-are person to teachers? Tell them what you're learning from their teaching. Like, go to them, call them, text them, and say, hey, what you shared was really meaningful. It encouraged, it built me up in the faith. Like, I, I need more of that. And that will spur them on to excel still more in their teaching. Do you see the interplay? Like, it will grant them more energy. And when they teach you, it'll give you more joy. It's like this beautiful circle that happens. You encourage them, they teach you more, and you keep on going. So, tell them what you're learning. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Exhortation. This per person comes alongside others and fills their calendar with the spiritual needs of others. Uh, the Swahili word for encourage is kutia moyo. Kutia, to put moyo, heart. To encourage means to put in heart. To en, in, courage. To put courage in them. These people instill or put courage into people. They encourage. They build up. They coach, they correct. They are passionate about the spiritual like, climate of other people. So how, how do you receive encouragers? How do, you, how do you talk with them? How do you respond to them? Certainly you don't blow them off. Like If you're like, oh man, this guy, he's always just encouraging, whatever. He doesn't mean it. No, that's just, he, that's like how he loves to live and serves the body of Christ. He encourages them. What do you do? Let them encourage you. Like learn to love it. Like share with them that your gifts are making a difference in your life. Let's go to giving. Giving, this person gives of his time and his talent and his treasure without ulterior motive, but simply in love. They're givers. What do you do with givers? You thank them. You let them give. Amen? Like, you give them opportunities to give more. Like, you, and then you share with them in private how they're giving is sharpening your life, your blind spots, how it's, it's strengthening your weaknesses, and how their generosity is pointing you to Jesus. Yesterday, someone gave me a, a gift. It was probably $3, but I've thought about that person for the last 24 hours multiple times and have prayed for him. 
their generosity really encouraged me. It was like a $3 deal. Leadership is the next one. These folks love to lead. They don't wing it because others are massively effective. And they are diligent in their leadership. It's interesting, I was just sharing with another guy. Uh, some translations say, uh, let them lead with perseverance, which is saying, hey, leaders probably get tired. <laughs> and so, hey, leaders, persevere in leading. You got any leaders out there? Persevere. How do you receive, or how do you be a there-you-are person to a leader? And I think you can go to them and, and, and ask them, hey, I see that you're leading. I see that you're taking us in a certain direction. How can I support you? How can I follow you in this direction? Hey, I don't get it yet, but I want to be on board. Hey, are you trying to lead me? How can I help? I want to be humble. I want to be led. How many struggle with being led? Sometimes in my marriage, you know that the man is called to lead. Sometimes leaders have the tendency to think that they should know everything and know how to do everything. I would say, Hannah and I, we've been married for 18 years. Some of our best moments where I'm leading well, the conversation goes like this. Ready, dads? Ready, husbands? Hannah, I want to be a good spiritual leader. I want to lead you well. Would you help me lead you? I don't actually know what to do here. What do you think? Let's, and then I'd like to lead. <laughs> right? Um, those, those are probably my better husband moments. I've got plenty of bad moments. But husbands, tell your wife this week, I want to lead you this week. I have no idea how to do it. Would you help me lead you? Watch the fruit that comes from it. And then let me know how it goes. Mercy. And then that'll be it for us today. Mercy. To exercise mercy hilariously. That's the, the original or literal word. To be hilarious with your, with your mercy. These people help with the weak, and they do it with joy. And they don't do it with sorrow. They, they like. They're, they're messengers or agents that go out and they see the hurting and the downcast and, and, and they're naturally, better said, supernaturally drawn to them. They're merciful. This would be, uh, this would be my sister-in-law, Martha, um, or some of you know my father, um, my dad. He is a man of mercy. If you um, track a, a group of people, right? Like at a family reunion or whatever. Like the whole family is moving here, here, here. And who's the last one um, escorting the kid that's struggling up the hill? It's Martha. It's Martha. She is a woman of mercy, right? Dad. You know, I'm sure my whole church has been hugged by my dad in some way. They pursue people and they're merciful towards them. 
How do you respond with people that are, have the gift of mercy? And I would say you let them flourish with joy. Like if you're leading a merciful person, um, rejoice that you have a, a person like that on your team. You need those people. Like let them as a leader know your weakness and highlight uh, their great strengths. Like thank them. Say, you're different than me and I need you in my life. Well, you remember how we started with thinking about our own physical body? Are you thinking about the body of Christ now? Has the scriptures prodded you and pricked your soul to think about people, your fellow members of the body of Christ this morning? Have names come to mind? If so, that would really honor Jesus. So today, as your pastor, I would just say, let your thoughts of the body of Christ not just stay there in the head, but let them go towards action. Like move towards the body of Christ in your own gifting, in, your, in the way that the Spirit has granted you a gift. Pursue them. And guess what? When you do, when you start pursuing others, pretty soon your gift will be revealed in time as you exercise. Isn't that beautiful? It's not just me, 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 what gift, what gift, but it's others, others, others. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess I really do function in this way. That, my friends, is a great way to live. That's a living sacrifice.